The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. In a fast-paced world... Every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's that unbelievable villain of hip-hop, the man behind the mask, MF Doom, Bruiser Holden McNeely. Jake? Uh, and I'm... Your young protege, the starving artist who's even more villainous, uh, named Victor Vaughn, wizard, <laughs> who also is pretty much the same person, but just a little <laughs> bit meaner, just like he's younger, slightly he's meaner. scrappier, he's more streetwise, and he can travel through time. That's the <laughs> difference between him and MF2. And I was also wondering if you were going to go with King Ghidorah. The fun thing with this intro, actually, is that we have so many different uh, personas we could work with, because that's exactly what MF Doom was. He lived through these different personas. They told different stories through hip-hop, through these incredible flows, with these unbelievable techniques, this incredible internal rhyming scheme. Like, there barely anything doesn't rhyme with something else in his flows. Um, that We're talking about MF Doom, the life, the legacy. I, I, I had had seen this get requested multiple times on Facebook in our Facebook group. I have wanted to do this episode personally for a long time, and uh, I finally said I definitely need to do this episode when I was gutted on New Year's Eve to learn that he had passed away far too young, and I just realized, like, oh, now we definitely need to do this. It was unbelievable. It felt like this final blood offering of 2020, even though he did technically pass away in October, but they broke the news on New Year's Eve, which I think it was perfect that on no Halloween. one knew. On Halloween, and then kept it a secret. Till New Year's Eve, because they wanted to wait for a different holiday to uh, break everyone's heart. Uh, on This guy's legacy is incredible. I I, ha- I will start with my gush. I, I don't even know. I guess you've, pr- you've definitely heard his stuff before. We did an episode on uh, Jake, I'm referring to, and yeah. probably listeners at home. We did an episode on the Gorillas, and he, of course, did a track for them. He, of course, also did that collaboration. I think most people know him from either his track on the Gorillas or uh, from Danger Doom, his collaboration with Danger Mouse that was heavily tied into Adult Swim and specifically Aqua Teen Hunger Force. And I think that's why a lot of my friends that weren't already into underground hip hop at that time were like real uh, recognizing who this person was and enjoying what they brought to the table. So for me, I think it was around uh, it was in college, maybe sophomore, junior year. And shout out to my buddy Evan, worked at the local radio station. I'm not really sure how this came up, but he kind of got me to a lot of underground hip hop and stuff at that time. Shout out to Evan, too. He did a bonus episode for Patreon with me where we talked about the Venture Brothers 
But yeah, he got me really into underground stuff. I was like into Def Jux, you know, into like LP and Mr. Lift and Aesop Rock, you know, Dr. Octagon, Cool Keith, you know, all this kind of wild stuff. And one of the ones that stood in the forefront for me was MF Doom because the dude just brought so much fun shit to the table. Like all of his albums had these amazing classic uh, bizarre sci-fi and uh, superhero cartoon and uh, all this sort of stuff sampled in to create this narrative. All of his beats were incredible and unique and it had that uh, really cool infusion of soul music and just very old school, like very cool sounding, again, unique kind of uh, samples for his beats and everything. And then his flows are just so fascinating. I mean, he, you know, he brings in reference after reference. He references so much obscure stuff that you wouldn't, you, I hadn't heard anybody in rap referencing at that point. Old Hanna-Barbera cartoons and fucking old weird TV shows from the 70s and stuff like that. And Anime, just, and then, Godzilla, Kaiju. Anime, yeah, all of it. And, and, and also, you know, but also talking about, you know, from this narrative. Now I understand a lot more doing the research with it, from this narrative of a villain that that is commentating on hip hop that is doing this thing that was bugging me at that point. I was, you know, especially getting into all the mainstream rap stuff in high school and feeling like, man, I feel like all this is just about how much money they have and how much better than they, they are than everyone else. I know like the, that's kind of the roots of hip hop is a lot of that kind of discourse. But I love how this dude came along and was like, he talks shit about other people in the game a little bit uh, if, as the villain character, but more just like, do something interesting. Make something unique. Do something like what I'm doing. Let's bring new shit to the table and innovate this art form. And um, again, like I said, his wordplay is is just absolutely uh, on its own level. I also love like how purposely clunky some of his lines would be, some of his bars would be. And that was also totally in there on purpose and really like interesting to, cause it either conveyed a, a message or a thought, or it had something to do with the tie into the character and what the character was saying at the time. So I just think this, this is such a fascinating person, a true artist in rap uh, and his story. Now that I know the full context of his story and why he became the villain in hip hop and what that was. And it all, and he does have a villain origin story in rap and and uh, man it's so interesting and his whole purpose his whole drive was literally just to like skirt skirt outside of the mainstream in hip-hop and make commentary on it and never let it control him like it did in his early days in in the industry honestly you know mf doom had been a icon in underground hip-hop in the music scene and then with his kind of embrace by adult swim through the uh not just uh, the Danger Mouse or the Danger Doom record, but like just the literal, like basically Adult Swim cribbed this entire lo-fi hip-hop Hanna-Barbera aesthetic vibe from him. Like he uh, was an innovator in so many ways and put out this uh, entire kind of like this entire audio space that is now like, you know, you can feel the repercussions with like the millions of kids that listen to lo-fi chill beats to study to like it's all kind of based off of him kind of responding to the rap industry at the time and yeah like you know in 2005 i was 
listening to, uh, you know, what my college radio DJs were telling me to do, what the cool websites were telling me to do. So like mm-hmm. there, I was listening to Spoon and LCD Sound System and The National and all the, you know, all these indie bands. And alongside it was underground hip hop. So like just listening to Most Def and Talib Kweli and in the mix also was MF Doom. But it's only doing the research this week that I really, truly understood what a monumental loss his death was because yeah more so than just the nerd references more so than just the mask uh kind of conceit and the personas like he really was this singular voice that like kind of was uh just raised up an entire generation of hip-hop artists and like it's weird that his death kind of came at this point because as the as the world of music kind of broke away from labels and like physical releases and, you know, big late night sets and album sales and all this and became just kind of this miasma of streaming where everyone has access to everyone all the time, the line's kind of blurred now. And so like the SoundCloud rappers that are, or the TikTok uh, musicians are kind of like, this new evolved form that's like kind of separate from the dichotomy of underground hip hop and pop rap mainstream lab, uh, right. commercial hip hop. Cause uh, I mean, we'll get to his whole life story, but looking up the uh, billboard list of like singles, the year that operation doom came out, it uh-huh. is in, it is insane, like, where hip-hop was at this second in terms of, like, the mainstream stuff. It's uh, TLC and Monica, um, Destiny's Child. Honestly, trying to find, like, the top two male MCs on the Billboard list in 1999 is Busta Rhymes and Will Smith. Like, we are so far from what hip-hop used to be. And MF Doom kind of came roaring back and bringing it back to a place that a lot of people thought was just never going to return. He also dropped three of my favorite rap albums of all time in like a year span or like (laughs) two years. Like honestly, between and we'll get more into him, but King Ghidorah, Victor Von Vaudeville Villain and uh, Mad Villain, uh, uh, Mad Villainy. All all three of those I consider are some of the greatest hip hop albums ever, ever created and and he did that all in this one little span. It's unbelievable. I, I really I haven't really heard anything I truly dislike that he's put out. I have favorites, but all of it is just so good. I'm so excited to talk about this because like and and uh, Mary, I apologize ahead of time is I will be having us sample certain tracks because I genuinely am thrilled by this music. Like I I I'm so glad we're this is you know in the past we've done uh, episodes for for bands and I'm like this this is great music and let's talk about it. I mean this this some of this stuff gives me like the tingles every time I hear it. And and so I'm very excited to get to finally cover this It topic. was annoying researching this week because a lot of times <laughs> when we covered musicians I would have the songs playing on, you know, my headphones and then I'd be reading articles and you know mm-hmm. just like trying to kill two birds with one stone and every single time I would try and listen to an MF Doom record while reading about him I would have to immediately stop, close the tab, and just like open genius.com and like read lyric by lyric what he was saying because the rhymes were just so dense and so clever and I didn't want to miss anything. 
Yeah, it's really cool stuff. And I was even, while I was doing research yesterday, I was I had a bunch of albums on. At one point, Lexi just came in and just be like, I'm loving this. This is great. I'm like, yeah, because you're right. It really is also, and by the way, you can actually get, um, it's a box set I actually own on CD. I think I still have it somewhere. These special herbs uh, volumes. Um, they, they're separate, but you can also get them together. Metal Fingers Presents Special Herbs. Um, and... Uh, I, I highly recommend getting that or throwing it on on Spotify because it's just the beats. Mm. So if you want to not be distracted by the lyrics because I get how one would want to stop and actually listen to them because they're so great, um, you can throw that on. That is my favorite. Back in, you know, first coming to New York, back in college, that was like my favorite thing to throw on in the background because it was just beat after beat after beat and, and everybody always enjoyed it while we'd just be hanging out, drinking beers and talking and whatnot. It's... It's there's something and smoking about weed because there's a lot of weed infused uh, music here for sure. Just stopping in my tracks and bursting out laughing and having to explain to Marie that like, no, you don't understand. It's uh, when she's on the rag, never let her fry the ragu, which will have you under some type of spell crying dagboo. And she's like, that means he knows about like witches and voodoo practices <laughs> and how to properly make a good Italian gravy. <laughs> like. <Yeah. laughs> Uh, yeah, it's so fun, man. So anyways, let's get into it because there's so much to cover and I want to get it all in. So here we go. Here's your synopsis. Lo and behold, 12 minutes in. A British-American rapper. Yes, he is technically British. We'll I hate about that they keep calling him a British-American rapper. I know, rapper. I know. It's, it's like not really the truth, but he he was born. and but, but it really is a big fundamental part of his story and a part of his villain uh, timeline because mm. he ends up becoming estranged from America in the end, which is so sad. But anyways, we'll get there. British-American rapper and record producer who became a huge hit in the underground with his villainous personas and unique flows with fantastic beats to back it all up. His collaboration with Mad Lib on the album Mad Villainy is noted as one of the greatest hip-hop albums ever made, and his collaboration with Danger Mouse and the Gorillas broke him over into the mainstream in the, in the 2000s. So let's talk about his early life. Uh, he was born with the name Daniel Dumil in London, actually, and Dumoulin. that's where that comes. Dumoulin? Oh, thank mm -hmm. you. I would have done Dumil. I thought it was Dumil, such a fun, evil sounding. I mean, you still got the Doom. The Doom definitely. <laughs> yeah, you got the Doom. Uh, if I believe. Daniel Dumoulin. If I, I did a quick Google search trying to get some pronunciations right. And apparently uh, it's based on a Zosha uh, language word, which means well known, which is also oddly prescient. Cool. So there you go. Uh, that was back in 1971. He was the son of a Trinidadian father uh, uh, or mother, I think, and a Zimbabwean father who just happened to be in London visiting family. Uh, I'm sorry, I think the mother's Zimbabwean when she went into labor. After that, they moved to Long Island, New York, though he remained in a British citizen and never gained American citizenship. And this is going to come into play later on in his life. Never was technically American, but grew, uh, lived there all of his life. Just after third grade, he started DJing and was a big fan of comic books and video games. And this is obvious in all of his work references it. He first got into hip hop via the radio station, uh, sorry, via the radio during its inception, as well as locally. Dumoulin said, at the time I was young, maybe 10 or 11 years old, and I'd go down the block. A lot of people had older brothers. This was back when there was two turntables. A lot of cats had afros. We'd look up to them, go peek at what they were doing down in the basement. But I wouldn't be able to get on the wheels until, uh, and that's the wheels of steel, the turntables, until what must have been a year after. And they'd finally invite us down to try and just get on. 
So that was my first experience with what we call hip hop now. Tramp, Otis Redding, spinning, see how the record feels when you spin it back, how the fader feels when you hit it. And a big, big part of him getting into it, as he said, he, uh, an older brother, um, his brother was named DJ Subrock. I think he it was younger brother, though, right? Was he younger yeah, brother? Yeah, younger brother. But his, his, his brother was named DJ Subrock, also super into rap, super into production. And together they formed Causing Much Damage, otherwise known as KMD, back in 1988. And it actually just started as like a general crew. And I love this. I wish I had this. I, was, I mean, I guess we kind of, we just didn't have a name for it. But, you know, you have your like group of friends. But I think back in the day, it was just like you gave your crew a name and you went around together. You maybe even had jackets and shit. And uh, so, yeah, they had just a general crew going called KMD and they would do graffiti. They would break dance and hip hop came a little bit later in there and what they were doing just to to enjoy their time together. Doom at that time performed as the alter ego Zev Love X. So even his first foray into hip hop, he was going under an alter ego. He was being a character Uh, and Zev Love X at this time. Uh, he was, and they were joined by another MC named Rodan, who left the group at one point and was replaced by another MC after that named Onyx, the Birthstone Kid. So Rodan does come back and collab with MF Doom several times during his career, and there are several fan theories that the mysterious Mr. Fantastic, who uh, collabs with MF Doom on a lot of notable tracks like um, uh, Rap Snitches Knishes, is actually Rodan with like a slight voice filter uh, lowering his speed. But uh, his identity has never been known, but many people believe that's Rodan. So they did a guest spot on uh, with the hip hop group Third Base and their song, The Gas Face, which became a small hit. Yeah, exactly. The ga- Describe what a gas, that's a gas face, what Jake just did. Uh, you just kind of, and that's, you give people the gas face. And some people are worthy and not worthy of the gas face. And so MC Hammer, oh, that's a big right there, buddy. But other people, nah, man, that's not a gas face. And Zev Love X does the last verse on that uh, track, and uh, he nails it, man. He's already uh, proving himself as like a very nimble lyricist and a very clever kind of rhyme uh, creator. Um, and surprise, Zev Love X just sounds like a much younger, much more peppier MF Doom. Yeah, totally. Before he had his whole soul ripped away from him, which is going to happen in just a little bit. Uh, so, yes, this becomes a small hit for uh, third base. And this is what it convinces an A&R guy to take on uh, KMD as a group. As KMD, they release a debut album called Mr. Hood in 1991. This is directed. Uh, this directed his content towards black American issues, as well as religion and racism. I believe this time they were they were quite Muslim at this time. So uh, even Daniel Dumoulin's name at the time, Zev Love X, is a reference to Malcolm X. And he in a uh, 1991 article in The Source, they kind of get into a lot of uh, the band's core beliefs. And I am not an expert in black culture. I am in no real point to um, uh, make any sort of qualitative judgments. I'm just 
barely attempting to explain this, so please don't throw hate at me. Yeah, I just want to throw it out there. We're two corny white guys. Not just okay? like, Let's just... beyond corny. <laughs> like, beyond corny. I am a level of, like, cringy sincerity and cluelessness that, like, I, like... It is the goal of culture to make sure people don't end up like me anymore. I'm so lame, I shouldn't even be allowed legally to have sex. They should take my card away because I hump cornily, I I dance badly. You know what I mean? All of it. It's all bad. My tastes are terrible. Uh <laughs> so in the article, uh Zevlov talks about how they identify as uh everyone in the group identifies as uh Ansar Muslim. Um and that uh, and that this is distinctly different than the five percent nation Muslim and different from five percenters and is different from, uh, you know, uh, black Israelites and different from all these like offshoots of uh, black Islamist movements that were very popular in New York, especially in the early 90s like this. He has a very deep he talks about a very deep personal uh, theology in which uh, the black man is God who is separate from the creator and the black woman is a goddess who must be respected. Uh, the black family needs to be saved. Uh, talks about how the white owned music industry still uh, tries to put the devil on wax and you got to sneak in the truth. Like it's very much ideological and very much of clear purpose it's political. It's not like the kind of clean, fun, you know, this isn't Will Smith and DJ Jazzy Jeff talking about how parents are lame. Like there is oh, yeah. a real message behind KMD's music. Well, especially with their follow up. No, even I mean, yeah, especially their follow up. But even the Mr. Hood album. Yeah, it gets, Mr. Hood at least is a little bit more like like it's that it's that thing where it's it's the subject matter is very intense, but the beats and the vocals and stuff are very upbeat talking about it. But either way, they do have uh, they do have samples of stuff like Sesame Street, um, things like that. It gives it a more of an upbeat tone and they get some buzz. The official mascot of uh, KMD is this like uh, gnarly Sambo kind of. Um, also, I will say about the that character in the first album, you see him with a, like a no smoking sign essentially over his head like that kind of red red sign over over his depiction because they're trying to get rid of this. They're trying to say, let's kill this off. And then, of course, on their follow-up, Black Bastards in 1993, they have the very controversial cover of that character being hung from a tree. And the idea, again, was we want to kill these old stereotypes and move forward. But either way, it's a very strong image. And the album itself is quite dark. And this deal that they had with Electra Records, by the way, it was Electra that was the label they were working under. They deemed it to be too controversial. In fact, in one account I saw, the person who canceled the album uh, actually had never actually listened to it. Just based on the name of the album and the cover, they were already out and some of the names of the songs. Uh, you know, so and also in the album, they do now that they've done an album for a record label, they do talk some shit about the music industry in that second album. They're a little more resentful of certain things, the way they're being handled. And the group is dropped from the label uh, and the album as well. The album is completely shelved. Uh, and this coincides with the death, tragic death of um Dumele, or we'll we'll call him Doom now, because essentially this is when the Doom, the MF Doom character be- gets created. The death of his brother Subrock, and uh, that was a, a car crash, uh, or he was struck by a car rather while crossing the street. 
he was trying to run across a highway. I'm just, I just want to, I know it's like not, it's, it's not respectful to say that, but the difference between it's, 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 it's context. It's context. It's quite a dangerous move, but still, uh, doom has to finish the record without sub rock. And that must've been painful enough. And then he finishes it and the label drops, not only the album shelves, the album, but they drop, uh, doom uh, from the label. And from the years of 1994, 1997, he is just a shell of a person. He leaves the underground scene. He's living, as he put it, quote, damn near homeless, walking the streets of Manhattan, sleeping on benches. He leaves New York City. He moves to Atlanta in the late 90s, though. Uh, and essentially, he said that he spent this time plotting his revenge against an industry that screwed him over like that, kicked him while he was down. And he also had music was his escape was his way of and also his way of processing the grief. So he's making music, but not for the public. He's making music for himself during this time. It is sometime around the end of 1997, starting in New York, Dumile gets back into the game, performing at open mic nights. But this time he starts showing up wearing different disguises. It shouldn't be. It's it should be said that um, the Black Bastards album by KMD would have been honest to God, a revolutionary album that like, it's, you know, it's a tragedy that it got buried because of the political content. There's songs like Sweet Premium Wine that does the kind of like Kung Fu uh, Wushu movie uh, samples and clips years before Wu-Tang Clan ever would. Like, it really was like a advancement of the hip hop genre and reflected like uh, Doom's growth. And the fact that it was just it was a mate like Electra was not a small record label. You know, this is one of the big hot uh, record labels of the era. And they just toss these guys aside is just horrifying. And even when d- during the years of wilderness, like, uh, you know, Daniel has a kid. He's like uh, traveling between Atlanta and New York City all the time. He's still connecting with graffiti artists and other MCs and other DJs. And like he's like making all of these weird friends on the outskirts of hip hop, like kind of the 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 dregs of society, almost the ones that aren't giving into that commercial appeal. People like uh, MF Grimm uh, or DJ Grimm, who's like basically confined to a wheelchair and is still producing beats. Uh, at some point while he's hanging out in Georgia, he falls in with the Nuwabian nation, which is a, a religious group founded by a, a man known as Malachi Z who like kind of turned black Muslim nationalism into an Egypt themed UFO religion and has a pyramid laden compound uh, in Putnam County, as we speak, he's like working in all of these outsider circles and kind of just like, uh, I, I don't know how best to say it, but he's just absorbing and collaborating with all these interesting voices. And, you know, the fact that he's biding his time before making this comeback is the legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes. The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. 
In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Kind of amazing. And so this is when his new persona starts to emerge as MF Doom. That means metal face, by the way. I, originally, I thought when I was younger, I thought it would meant motherfucking Doom. I also no, thought that. It's metal face Doom. That is the persona that with the Doom mask. And he explains his essentially why he came out with this as his persona. He said... There was a time in hip-hop when things started going, from my point of view, more towards what things look like as opposed to what they sound like. Before, you didn't know what an MC looked like until you went to a party and saw them rocking. Most times, you see them rock before the show, uh, before you even knew. So you really was going off the sound of the record, straight skills. Once it became more publicized, hip-hop became more of a money-making thing. Then you get these corporate ideas where people want to put what it looks like to sell what it sounds like. But we're dealing with music. But what I'm doing is coming with the angle that it don't matter what I look like. It don't matter what the artist looks like. It's more what he sounds like. The mask really represents rebelling against trying to sell the product as a human being. It's more of a sound. At the same time, it's something different. And it fits with the theme of the rebel, the villain. He don't care about the fame. That shit's of no consequence. It's more the message of what's being said. It helps people focus more on what's being said. But it's still entertaining. It's like the theater and still has the appeal of what could be considered entertainment. But the message is still there. The villain represents anybody. Anybody here can wear the mask and be a villain. Male or female, any race, so-called race. It's about where you're coming from. Your, uh, your heart. What's the message? What you've got to say. That's mainly why I chose to bring the mask into the fold. It's more than the mask, though. It's the yeah. fact that with them, even with the mask on... He's got a beer gut. He's wearing usually like a dirty T-shirt or a yeah. loose uh, sports jersey. Like a, a, a Salvation Army collared shirt. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And like the idea that rap, because at this stage we're, you know, we're dealing with Puff Daddy and, you know, Jay-Z rapping on a yacht. Like the idea that hip hop and achieving uh, like a career, being a rapper is some kind of lofty goal that can't be reached by anybody that it's kind of this it's almost like you achieve a level of status and then you get to be a rapper is kind of inverted from uh the messaging that doom was trying to counter against um can we talk about the mask itself sure so mf doom while he was in you know he was a kid he grew up in new york city he grew up around the new york city hip-hop scene he would tag uh, subway cars. He would, you know, trade tapes. He would. He was just among all these artists. And among the contacts he made was a uh, famous graffiti artist named K.E.O. I don't know whether it's just Keo or whatever. His real name's Blake. Uh, Blake Letham. He drew the original cover art for Operation Doomsday. It's since been changed so that it doesn't feature actual uh, Marvel copyright character Dr. Doom on the cover. But uh, he originally crafted the mask from a Halloween mask. Uh, in an interview, he wrongfully identified it as a Darth Maul mask, which was uh, a mistake because it was 1999 and it was black and red. 
Many fans have since done the uh, forensics on it and figured out that it was uh, Kane, the wrestler Kane, who also had a similar red and black color scheme and a very similar Dr. Doom style uh, face mantle that Uh could easily be, uh, you know, spray painted silver and used as the original mask. Uh, And in his first video, he's wearing this rubber mask, but... Later, uh, Lethem is uh, given the task to make a better mask, and he takes a replica uh, metal helmet from the movie Gladiator. If you look up Gladiator Maximus helmet with the spiky kind of dome over top, it's clearly that the MF Doom mask was just that helmet with kind of just chopped and uh, rearranged and fitted better to look more like a Doom mask. Mm. Uh, But it's from those like weird pop culture origins that this new singular icon uh, emerged. That's amazing. Yeah, I didn't even I didn't even do that legwork. So thank you, Jake. I'm all legwork, baby. I I have no soul. I listen to They Might Be Giants. (laughs) So his old friend, this guy named Bobito Garcia, rediscovers him as he's coming up in this in the underground scene, as he's reentering the underground scene doing more and more music and he gets him to do singles for, for Bobito's record label Fondalum. And these singles is what leads to a full length LP that you mentioned before. I think you said operation doom. It's actually operation doomsday. The sound on this album, it's uniquely rugged compared to what was considered popular in the genre commercially as he still mixed the vinyl and had a cheap plug in mic for vocals and, and, and yeah, and mixed the vinyl himself. It was made in another well-known underground rapper's basement that you already mentioned, MF Grimm, who also financed it and was executive producer. And also, it just had these unique samples that weren't really being done and a unique approach. It's this laid-back, very raw approach vocally. He's not trying to be pizzazzy and everything like a lot of people at the time. Actually, let's listen to, because I think this is when we really start to get into what made his sound so special and, and when he really was into his prime. Some people consider Operation Doomsday actually to be one of the greatest uh, underground hip-hop albums of all time uh, in, in its own right. So how about let's hear track number three from that, just a little sample of it. Rhymes like diamonds, Mary, if you wouldn't mind playing that one for us. Hey, yo, yo, y'all can't stand right here. In his right hand was your man's worst nightmare. Loud enough to burst his right ear drum close range. The game is not only dangerous, but it's most strange. I sell rhymes like dimes. The one who mostly keep cash, but brag about the broker time. Joker rhymes like the issue just having to see me trick. Classical slapstick rappers need chapstick. A lot of them sound like they're in a talent show, so I give them something to remember like the Alamo. Tally ho, a hot joker like Space Game came back for five years laying the stage, the same set. So it's this brooding, villainous sound, this soulful, but very like, it's almost like you're in a daze kind of soulful music that's that's on repeat, these samples. And there's no like big chorus, no like giant hook to like make it better for radio play. And shout outs to Bonesaw who who uh, gave me this term that I, I know is a, an actual term, but it's, it's that boom bap uh, beat. And you literally hear that. It's just like boom, bap, boom. It's this steady lo-fi beats to chill and relax to, to be honest with you, uh, sound. But that wasn't like the norm back then. That was this burgeoning sound that was going on that was very different at the time. I'm repeating myself already, but like the clips of old uh, of the old 1970s Fantastic Four uh, TV show, kind of the mix of like Saturday morning lightness with like uh, with, you know, the 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 intensity and darkness of 
growing up as a black man in America, like that fusion of corny cartoon and hip hop was years before it, it became Adult Swim's entire corporate identity and made billions of dollars. Like, yeah, yeah, totally. This was wholly unique. Hearing those old school samples of, yeah, superhero shows. And, and I love it. I am like, this is for me, this is amazing. I love the Kung Fu samples for Wu-Tang and everything. But I love these like. The 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 uh, in Victor Vaughn, which we'll get to a little bit, Vaudevilleville, the whole thing where it's like he was offered a full science scholarship and like all <laughs> that kind of shit, that cheesy old school stuff mixed into these these amazing tracks. I just cannot get enough of that stuff, and it is so infused in all of his work. But this is where we hit the this prolific era for MF Doom, and a part of the prolific era, it's a couple things. First of all, now he's married and he's got he's he's popping out a couple kids, and that's making him hungry just to put food on the table. Right. He's just now he just needs to work and he needs to keep working so that he can raise this family and get this money. Also, though, he's he's prolific in this sense because he wants to avoid what happened with KMD and decides that instead of one label, which would probably push him to only release an album a year at most so they can promote it properly and all this kind of stuff and try to dictate the direction of his career. Instead, he decides, I'm just going to make albums on all these different labels and, and all these different indie labels that'll give me the freedom I want. And in order to do so, in certain cases, I'll just do it under different monikers as different characters. And so it just opened this whole thing up. Doom said, with the success of the Fondalum stuff, other cats would want me to do a verse here or do a record for them. Many people would come to me, so I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. I had to get back up and get this bread. I had a family at the time, a son and whatnot. So I had to make sure he was fed and everything was straight. This is when hip-hop started being like a business where I could sustain and take care of my family. Any business that would come to us, we would take it and do it. From the outside, it seemed like we were doing a lot of records on purpose, just to have a lot of records out, which really wasn't the goal. It was more like, as many people as needed a record, I would do the record, whether they put it out or not. But I guess, on the outside, it looked like I was doing a lot of records, which is cool, though. It worked both ways. Good. And, and, and it's absurd. Like I said, this is when he really pumps out some of my favorite records of all time especially in the genre of rap. Uh, first up, King Ghidorah. And again, this all speaks to my nerd heart, too. It's like we're talking Dr. Doom. We're talking <laughs> King Ghidorah from the kaiju from Godzilla and everything. I'm, I'm already just, I'm, I'm in uh, from the, from the get-go. Just to note that, uh, especially in New York City, uh, channel, I remember even as a kid uh, in the 80s, WPIX Channel 11 would show the shit out of like weird ass Godzilla movies, especially those middle era ones where he's like the friend of children and there's like bonkers, you know, the Jet Jaguar era. Like, so even though it's an odd uh, kind of out there choice to base a rap record on, it makes perfect sense that all of these MCs would know way too much about the kaiju universe. The same way that the Wu-Tang Clan spent too many days in second-run theaters and, like, uh, grindhouse theaters watching all of these Shaw Brothers movies. It's just yeah. – a even though nowadays we consider it a, like, weird, like, I'm such a nerd, like, reference, it was just part of the background radiation of their youths at the time. <laughs> so, so yeah, he, he ends up actually creating this moniker as a collaboration with a hip-hop collective called a Monster Island Czars – which also included MF Grimm. And this was a huge collective of rappers who all did, you know, verses and things on tracks as a 
essentially a kaiju monster moniker, right? Like that just all of them went under different, these different um, MOs. So everyone on the record had an alias like that. And um, so Doom ended up as the three headed monster from the Godzilla films, of course, King Ghidorah, which we talk about a lot on our Godzilla episode. The coolest one. Let's agree. It's the coolest one. one. Doom said Ghidorah is an interesting character. The whole direction of Ghidorah is like, okay, he's not even from earth. He's from outer space. He channels the information to Doom in uh, in order for Doom to produce. So he gets the message from Ghidorah. Ghidorah is not even on earth. He's more like an ethereal being. Again, it's the villain theme. Ghidorah is like the classic bad guy, strong, real strong, where they have to jump him at the end. They always end up chasing him away though. He, the whole hero thing, the hero gotta win. But if you look at it, Ghidorah is really stronger than all of them, but he's still that oddball. And so as Ghidorah, he releases his own, own album called Take Me to Your Leader. And he really wanted to reflect Ghidorah's alien perspective on humans with that. And purposely made the beats and lyrics feel very different from what Doom's doing. Doom's like kind of this more old school soul samples, uh, all this kind of stuff. He wanted to make Ghidorah's beats uh, and everything uh, underneath what, uh, his raps to be like, this coming from outer space. So that's why I want to, I want to play this to just give, give you a feel of the differentiation. And it's just so damn good. Mary, can you play a clip from phasers? I believe it's the first track off of, um, uh, King Ghidorah, take me to your leader. And again, one of my favorite albums, uh, ever made. Follow the light. The light is your guide. King Ghidorah, take me to your leader. Quick to claim that he not no snake like me neither. They need to take a breather. He been rhyming longer than Sigmund the Sea Creature. Been on Saturday feature. Pleased to meet ya. And came to wake you up out the deep sleeper like he needed to stop before he caught the knee drop. Even give you more sick sick than ZZ Top. So then he makes... Victor Von Vaudeville Villain drops that like months later, a different moniker. We'll get into why. Is it a different moniker if Dr. Doom's real name is Victor Von Doom? Yes, because Victor Von actually even disses Dr. Doom in a track where he talks about how uh, he talks about like he's talking to the lady that Dr. Doom's with. It's like, I guess you want to be if you want to be with a dude that wears a mask all day. So, yes, actually, he is different. And he talks shit. And if you notice, he also talked about how Gingidra communicates to Doom from outer space to send him messages. So, yes, not only are these different monikers, but they're also all talking to each other and talk to each other in different tracks. And he, he even alluded to a potential. I think he was going to do this before he passed away. Uh, unfortunately that happened, but he was actually going to create a fake rap beef between MF Doom and Victor Vaughn, uh, just to, just to make fun of, I think like rap diss tracks, essentially like he's, it's all a commentary on the industry with this stuff, but Victor Vaughn, this is, uh, for the record label sound Inc. He put out an album, uh, like I said, called Vaudeville Villain. And Victor Vaughn, it's all the tracks. Uh, uh, I feel like too. So Victor Vaughn, Doom, as Doom puts it, Vic is similar but younger. He's more like an 18, 19 year old whippersnapper. Thinks he knows it all. A lot of times he disagrees with Doom, but still he looks up to Doom. And honestly, you can tell with the beats and his even his energy on the vocals 
is a little bit more youthful. It's a little bit more exuberant. Doom is a little more laid back on the track. You know what I mean? Victor Vaughn explodes with this energy, and I absolutely love it. And again, and he really knows how to open an album, because again, I'm going to have uh, Mary, if you don't mind playing the, um, if we could actually play that intro, it's a very brief intro, and then it just launches into this amazing track with, um, I believe it is Venomous Villain is the first track, or no, it's just Vaudeville Villain, uh, which is the uh, name of the album as well. So if you, Mary, could please play tracks one and two, just a little bit of track two uh, from Victor Vaughn, Vaudeville Villain. So as you can see, it just, it's just got, it's kind of just got, it's not wholly different, but it's got a, just a bit of a different vibe. And there's another track I love on there called Saliva that again has, the, it has like rock and roll guitars underneath it. It's just got, it's, it's, it's going for a bit more of a youthful energy, but yes, of course, obviously Victor Von Doom is Dr. Doom's, um, real name or whatever in the comic book. So obviously there's a definite connection there. Then he puts out Mad Villainy with Mad Lib as Mad Villain. So so the I just talked about two of my favorite albums, right? <laughs> Mad Villainy may be one of, I think, one of the greatest rap albums ever made, uh, period. It's like, and all of this is in the span of one or two years. It's kind of unbelievable when you look at it. Mad Villainy is really fucking good it's yeah listed, so you, you know you actually just, like sat down and listened to because it I really sat down just and listened to in. it it's uh obviously that album cover is iconic it's always you know if you want to i feel like i've seen it in a million music streaming service ads to prove that they like they're they're cool they know <laughs> uh but like it's one of those things where like it's an album whose uh, reputation precedes it. And then you sit down and listen to it. And that that like creeping feeling of like, oh, fuck, it's really <laughs> actually that good. It's like 22 tracks, albeit they're short tracks, but it's 22 tracks. And honestly, I don't think there's a bad track in the bunch. It really just every every inch of it is fantastic. So and this is his collaboration with Mad Lib. Again, one of my favorite producers in hip-hop this dude is amazing uh, i'll get into his story he 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 has a couple of of uh some of my favorite stuff in in the genre but either way this album uh yeah they, many say it's mf doom's magnum opus is his masterpiece the the collaboration with mad lib it came to be actually to, via a dude named peanut butter wolf 
who tragically lost his partner in crime as well in the rap game, uh, uh, as well, a, a guy who went as Charisma, who was shot dead in 1993. So Peanut Butter Wolf also was working on an album What when that happened with Charisma, much like him, Abdoon, very similar parallels here. He, he founds Stone's Throw Records as a means to release the album that he made with Charisma, to get it out there. And he ended up getting a studio in Los Angeles, essentially just a building in the hills, like a, a big house in the hills, and he brings tons of underground talent. He's also responsible for Jay Dilla's album Donuts. I fucking love Jay Dilla's Donuts. And also Mad Lib's collaboration with Jay Dilla, Champion Sound. Stop, just listen to all this shit that I just said. It will blow your mind. Champion Sound is an incredible record. But I digress because it has nothing to do with MF Doom. Other than uh, MF Doom and Jay Dilla and Mad Lib have all collaborated independently. Um, There's so many iconic, like... This is it really kind of highlights like Doom uh, doing what he does best. Uh, tons of just the songs are usually like two minutes at max. Like not, I don't think there's any song that's like over three minutes on the track. Tons of like intense rhyme schemes and uh, the mixture of high culture, low culture, street culture references like uh, the opening. The opening salvo from Accordion is just incredible. Living off borrowed time, the clock tick faster, that'd be the hour when they knock the sick blaster, dick dastardly and muttly with sick laughter, a gunfight and they come to cut the mix master. Like, so good. fuck, man. There's just so much going on there. Dick dastardly I- and muttly. Are you kidding? I was like a going to cry and they did a fucking, <laughs> they did a reference to fucking muttly's like, shh, 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 laugh. <laughs> also, uh, yeah, so Peanut Butter Wolf just sees what Mad Lib's doing, sees what Doom's doing. They don't even know each other and he calls up Doom and is like, I think you guys are going along great. You guys need to cut a record together. I'll fly you out to LA. Doom said, Cats was cool from day one. I got along with these dudes, good spirited, good hearted people, real record diggers. Beat makers. We had the same kind of vision about how we did records. The way we did records was similar. But he was still unique, though. Speaking of Madlib, had his unique style. That's how it started. He reached out, and ne- ever since then, he's been my man. And so, yeah, they both just loved obscure, different records. And I love the working relationship between the two. But first, let me introduce Madlib a little bit. Give him some backstory because it's I think it's very important to this whole thing. Madlib was born Otis Jackson Jr. He had musician parents and he sampled his first song at 11 years old. And in the early 90s, he was with a loose collective of performance uh, literally called the Crate Diggers Palace Studio and they branded themselves CDP. They also had a, initials as the moniker with his own group dubbed Loot Pack, they start putting out an EP called Psych Move that caught the eye of Peanut Butter Wolf, who signed the group in 1998. His first solo work was actually a- another highly regarded uh, underground hip-hop classic called The Unseen. He did this under the guise of his own alter ego that he has called Quasimodo. It's this weird aardvark character. Just look it up. Uh, <laughs> he essentially uses a pitch shif- shifter to talk in this very bizarre high-pitched voice when he MCs. And this album does very well critically. Uh, he, then, as I mentioned already, he does Champion Sound with Jay Dilla. And uh, my one of my favorites of all time, he gets access to the Blue Note jazz label archives, and he releases an album using all samples from that archive. It's called Shades of Blue. Check it out. It's phenomenal. It kind of melded my two favorite things at the time, which was jazz and like these types of beats. Either way. Together at the Stone's Throw House, they make this record, and it's a very interesting process, Doom said. 
I'm trying to finish this record so I can get back home. I'm staying in LA and I'm trying to get back to my children. So I'm working as fast as I can without sacrificing the quality. So he's working too like that. So I hardly see him, even though we're in the same house. So he's always in the bomb shelter, which is like in the basement. And I'm up on the deck writing. So he's like facing, you know, you know, he's out on the hills, facing down, looking down in LA. Um, He'd give me another CD, and I'm writing, and he's back in the bomb shelter, so I'd hardly speak to him. We might stop, and he'll burn one, and we'll listen to the beat, and then that's it. And then the next two days, I probably won't see him. Then I was getting mad work done, knocking it out. Then at the end of the week, we listen to the shit and be like, all right, here's the angle I'm thinking of on this one. All we need is a verse, and it's done. And then that's it. We hardly spoke, really. It was more through telepathy. We spoke through music. He'd hear a joint, and that's my conversation with him. Then I'd hear a beat, and that's like... What he's saying to me. It's real bugged. And still, to this day, that's how we do it. Which I think is so cool. So one, he's on the porch. Mad Libs in the basement. They're barely even sharing many words. Just creating this amazing fucking thing together. This like fluid thing. And honestly, I think the speed at which he worked just allowed him to really put stuff down. Almost stream of conscious. You know, just not not second think too much. And just really put put it all out there. Which I think I think benefited him. There's a uh, New Yorker article re- written by Taneshi Coates, uh, or t- t- I can't, I, I'm just bad at names. Um, but uh, he talked about how Doom would like carry around these giant rhyme notebooks where he would just kind of work on these kind of couplets and forms and verses free of like any individual track. And then once he heard a beat or received something from someone like Madlib, he would like then try and rearrange them and build a song like based on themes. Or if the mood hit him, uh, Coates describes how uh, upon hearing about the, the lady who got her face eaten by a chimp, he immediately <laughs> like started scribbling down lyrics and had to be excused because he wanted to write verses from the chimp's perspective. Like <laughs> he just had this like he had a method to his madness, but oh, yeah. it also meant that like he had like a backlog of ideas that he could like freeform construct new songs from as needed, which is a very interesting uh, kind of work. The legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes. The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Donald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. In a fast-paced world... Every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. And I also love it, you know, he always needs to have a perspective and have someone he's talking to. So like I mentioned in one track, uh, Victor Vaughn's talking to MF Doom and King Ghidorah. King Ghidorah is communicating to Doom as well. In this sense, uh, MF Doom is actually speaking directly to Madlib throughout the album. And it has. And he also says that the MF Doom tr- tracks that he does as Doom, specifically outside of uh, independently, those are all him, his internal monologue. Uh, or MF Doom's rather internal monologue as the character. The uh, and so 
they just created this amazing thing. Also, it was a really cool thing. Like, uh, Madlib would hand him a CD, he said, of about 50 beats. He'd usually end up picking out, like, five and kind of take it from there. So it was just a lot of process of elimination stuff or whatever stuck out to um, uh, to MF Doom. But either way, uh, I cannot not play a track from this album as well. It is too fucking good. So, and this, this one always gives... This is, like... This is that shit that I used to just, I was that guy putting on stuff for people and staring at them and being like, you like this, right? This is great, right? So here's me doing that again to you, dear listener, with uh, track number 20 from Mad Villainy. The track is called All Caps. Mary, if you wouldn't mind playing us a little bit from that. So nasty that it's probably somewhat of a travesty having me. Then he told the people you can call me your majesty. Keep your battery charged. He know it won't stick, yo. And it's not his fault you kick slow. Should've let your trick hold, chick hold your sick glow. Plus nobody couldn't do nothing once he let the brick go. And you know I know that's a bunch of snow. The beat is so butter. Keep the slow cutter as he utter the calm flow. Don't talk about my mom, yo. Sometimes he rhyme quick, sometimes he rhyme slow or vice versa. Whip up a slice of nice verse. Hit it on the first try, villain. The worst guy spot hot tracks like spot a pair of fat asses. Shots of the scotch from out the square shot glasses. And he won't stop till he got the masses. And show him what they know not through flows of hot molasses. Do it like the robot to head spin to boogaloo. Took a few minutes to convince the average boogaloo. It's ugly, like look at you, it's a damn shame. Just remember all caps when you spell the man name. A sequel was released called Mad Villainy 2, but it is actually a remix album, not a true sequel album. Doom has said, however, in interviews uh, kind of on the more recent, that he recorded a lot more stuff with Mad Lib that he'd like to eventually release. And word is that they are now looking to get that stuff out. So hopefully that gets out there. Uh, around this same, just so for reference, uh, the around 2004, the hot rap hip hop songs are like, yeah, featuring uh, Lil Jon and Ludacris by Usher <laughs> uh-huh. and like Lean Back by Terror Squad. Uh, you know, it's still like the underground movement is super like vibrant. And it's also at a great point where uh, music writing and criticism is so hungry for this stuff. So Mad Villainy and uh, Vaudeville Villain not only get lauded by uh, mainstream kind of places like Rolling Stone and, you know, the New York Times and Entertainment Weekly, but also uh, kind of emergent critical websites like Pitchfork and the Onion AV Club are singing its praises even stronger because it's representing this kind of tuned in online, younger kind of alt audience that is desperate for this kind of stuff. And what do the kids want? An album about food. That's right. Next up is Mmm Food, another favorite of mine. I absolutely love this album. And again, this drops in 2004. So this is all coming out between the time span, I believe, of 2003 and 2004, which is fucking incredible. I love this album. This is actually going to be the last song I have you guys listen to um, in this particular episode. I then ask you, please, to go forth and listen to all of this stuff album for album because it is all fantastic but mm, food I didn't even think about this it is it, just so dumb it is an anagram of uh, MF Doom which should have been very obvious to me and yes every track has uh, I mean it's it's a lot of double entendres and double meanings but every track is technically about food it was released by the Minnesota based label Rhyme Sayers Entertainment uh, and here check out the song Ho Cakes 
Let me get the uh, track right. Uh, that is number two off of Mmm Food. I just love this. This brings him back, I think, from his previous couple albums to a more playfulness, which I think is what opens the doors to the Danger Doom collaboration that's going to come next. It's really fun. It's just really creative and puts a big smile on my face. So check out Ho Cakes a little bit. Super. I got this girl and she wants me to do I told her I'll come scoop her around eight. She said, Super. That sounds great. Shorty girl's a trooper. No matter what I needed to do, she'd be like, Super. on his own throne, the boss like King Cooper. On the microphone, he floss the ring. Super. Average MCs is like a TV blooper. MF Doom, he's like DB Cooper. Out with the moolah. I let her get her outfit just to cool her off. She said niggas ain't about shit. I wonder if she meant it. I doubt it. The way it be in her mouth, she can't live without it. And can't live with this. Handle your business. Villainous, stay on a scandalous whole shit list. One pack of cookies, please, Mr. Hooper. It's fun smacking rookies. He is the... Look like a black Wookiee when he let his beard grow weirdo. Brown skin, it always kept his hair low. Rumors has it, it's an S-curl accident. Doom was always known to keep the best girl's backs bent. And yeah, just what what a prolific session of out. I can't believe I, I had no idea all those albums came out like that. And then and he still puts out great work after this point. But I think that is the pocket of just mwah, just choice doom right there with with uh, Victor Vaughn, vaudeville villain. Take me to your leader by King Ghidorah, uh, Mad Villain, uh, Mad Villainy, and MF Doom mm, Food, and of course Operation Doomsday is fantastic as well. I would say that like you can extend the streak to 2005 with uh, Danger Doom, sure. which is more like kind of a victory lap for the work that was done in 2003, 2004. As yeah, and, kind and, of and, reached- and it and it really was the probably a huge moneymaker for him, and really made him. More of a name. This was the, this was actually the moment when I was seeing this dude I was following as an underground thing become very popular with like my non underground hip hop loving friends. Like people, everybody was blasting Danger Doom out their car stereo. Like I think during this time, especially in college. I know all of the fucking Moon Knights references and like the cast of C Lab Twenty Twenty One dates this album really hard, but like. Yeah, there's stuff like uh, Crosshairs, there's stuff like um, Old School, which had Talib Kweli on it, uh, The Mask with Ghostface Killa on it. Like, Yeah, and that was a big deal, Go- his collab with Ghostface Killa, because Ghostface Killa has a similar rep in terms of the way that he just it has an interesting approach to, to hip-hop, and people wanted to see that happen, and then of course later they would end up working on stuff that hopefully some of it gets released, but more on that later. So yeah, that's kind of his like real golden era i guess the the kind of unstoppable like oh shit this is legit kind of deal and it kind of balances the uh height of the alternative indie pipeline with music because like i feel like after that the lines kind of blur and uh you know the the rise of digital platforms makes the the idea that like there's there's studio music and then there's cool indie music and they mm-hmm. both have to like strive in their own ways. It's like the advent of the iPod. I will say too, Danger Doom is a collaboration with Danger Mouse. Uh, the album name is The Mouse and the Mask, of course. Uh, Danger Mouse lived in Athens, Georgia, which is kind of interesting. I think that's why he he was such a weird out of the box DJ because he was DJing for the university and he's also meeting like Neutral Milk Hotel and like listening to a lot of REM and a lot of 
that kind of Athens, Georgia based uh, indie music. And after a stint in London, he ends up moving to Los Angeles, where he collaborates with different rappers, putting music out on UK's Lex Records. Lex Records is going to come back up in the future for MF Doom, but really broke through. And I remember when this happened with the Grey album, which mixed vocals from Jay-Z's The Black Album with samples from the Beatles' White Album. And I think this was also the first time that something got big through like Napster. Yeah. You know what I mean? Through word of mouth and Napster and like digital downloads. There wasn't a record that you could even go to the store and buy. You had to go. You had to it had to illegally download it to like even listen to it. It was the Entertainment Weekly album album of the year because people's minds were so blown by the idea of the mashup. Yeah. Like it was so revolutionary to all these music critics. And nowadays you can like go on YouTube it's like, and it's like it's it's the everywhere. most frivolous art form in the world. But. He then, you know, proved himself with uh, getting to work on Demon Days, including the track November Has Come with it's MF Doom. It's a great Doom. track. Great track. Yeah, um, yeah. And so the, yeah, Danger Doom was the album I owned and listened to forever. It was on my Diamond Rio MP3 player. <laughs> uh, hey, man, I put in a 32 megabyte smart media card on that thing. I, I had songs for minutes at a time. And also, it's just this interesting collaboration with Cartoon Network, which we already mentioned before with all the Aqua Teen references and C-Lab. And uh, we already did our episode on Adult Swim, but it wasn't too long ago that it's still so fresh in my mind. So I'll just repeat what Jake brought to the table with that. The cool older brother getting you into the real good shit. And I mean, here is a, a direct perfect example of that. In, in practice with uh, Danger Doom. It was such a bizarre thing. I was like, what even is this industry anymore? <laughs> like, is this a TV network's product? Is this the product between these, like, underground artists? Like, I don't even know what's going on anymore. It was such a fascinating collaboration. Again, 2005, you know, the top songs are Drop It Like It's Hot, uh, The Whisper Song by Ying Yang Twins, <laughs> uh, Gold Digger by Kanye West. Like, there's, you know, there's still this line. There's the main, there's radio rap and there's cool older brother rap. So he already said he needed to just make that music to get that bread, which he ends up getting, obviously, especially with Danger Doom, especially with like doing a Gorillaz track. And and then, and I think that's why partly fatigue, partly just needing to take a break so that he could come back with a fresh perspective. But also I think he just goes away to raise his family and be with his kids for a little while. So he does release his final solo work, Born Like This, but in 2009, so a few years past, it's simply as Doom. He talks about why he releases simply as Doom. It's essentially just like once you know someone for so long, you wouldn't call him MF Doom. You just call him Doom. So that's why he did that. He did further collaborations with Ghostface Killer, including an unreleased project called Doom Starks. I really hope that sees the light of day at some point. I think all of this stuff will speed up a little bit more now that he's passed away. Actually, Holden, can I can I throw out a thing for Mary? Yeah. Honest to God, like. Uh, Born Like This is like kind of thrown out as like a lesser release, but he goes super hard. I think he's like maximum villainous in this uh, album. He's a little bit older. uh, It's a much darker album. Yeah. God, there's songs like That's That, where if you can just play a chunk of that, where you can just really hear like how much he is just kind of like embracing the darkness and the villain inside him. All right. Track number 15 from Born Like This. Let's hear it. That's that. G's of G's, seize property, shopper sprees, chop the cheese, drop the grease to stop diseases. G whiz, pa, doom rock grandma like the kumbaya. 
Mama was a whole hopper, Papa was a Rolling Stone star Like Obama, pull a car like old drama Civil liberties, these little titties, abilities riddle me Middle C <laughs> Give an MC a rectal hysterectomy Lecture on removal of the bowels, foul technically Don't expect to see the recipe Until we receive the check as well as the collection fee More erect than Section Z, what you expect to get for free Shit for me, history, the key Plucked it off the mayor Chucked it in the old tar pit off La Brea, player. I also want to say that for all the darkness and villainy stuff, throughout his career, he is not afraid to just kind of make fun fun of himself a little. I found a list online where uh, they collected all of the um, lyrics from his songs where he just breaks character and talks about like what he was doing while he was writing this particular song. Dating back from uh, Doomsday, he says, I wrote this one in BC, DCO section on uh, beef rap. He writes, I wrote this one around New Year's off a couple of shots and a few beers, but who cares? Uh, in Lickapon, he says, uh, he wrote this one with a fever sick in bed with his dickhead inside a chicken head. <laughs> uh, uh, in Money Folder, he says, I wrote this rhyme lightly off of two or three heinies. In Mincemeat, he says he wrote this one with his middle finger in wet cement. In Batty Boys, he says he wrote this lyric from In the Bed with a Chick. And uh, in Get Her Done, he says he wrote this oath while pinching a loaf. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, then in 2010, and this is when another another dark turn for him and a really sad one to uh, happen closer to the end of his life. After a European tour, he was refused entry back to the U.S. because he never fully became a U.S. citizen. He ends up having to settle into the U.K. This is because, of course, he lived there all of his life, but he never just got that naturalized citizen uh, citizenship. And so he had actually gone an international tour and kind of came back without um, much issue. But uh, for some reason, I don't know, like, who was president at the time or what got like customs and immigration with a stick up their butt. But yeah, they just refused to let him back into the country. So he's actually separated from his wife and three children for two years until they moved out there, only being able to do like video calls, which really sucks, man. And then, and that really makes him just be like, I'm done with the U S like again, very frustrated with uh, getting his, you know, the country turning his back on him, just like the label did. Back in the day, he ends up uh, recording with an artist from the label Lex, the the Lex label I mentioned earlier that he uh, uh, that I believe Danger Mouse worked out of uh, named uh, Janeiro Jarrell under the moniker JJ Doom. Together, they worked with Tom York and Johnny Greenwood from uh, Radiohead. Uh, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. No. And uh, David Alburn, Beth Gibbons from Portishead, Cujo Goody from Goody Mob. And many more. Then there's the collaboration with rapper Bishop Nehru. Wait, which uh, is... sorry. One thing about uh, J.J. Doom. Uh, shout out to the track Governor, which not only kind of makes fun of his current predicament of being stuck in England. Yes. But also features a uh, sample from, of all places, regular show. And you can hear Mark Hamill just say, hello, governor, over and over again. Just back to cartoons. This is Jake's Fantastic. wheelhouse. Jake likes cartoons. <laughs> I know. That's why I was like, I think I really like this one. Then there's the collaboration with rapper Bishop Nehru, which he released in 2014. And tragically, I think one of the final gut punches near the end of his life in 2017, he announced that his 14-year-old son, King Malachi Ezekiel Dumoulin, had died. 
And I'm, uh, yeah, I, I Malachi I, was also the name of the head of the Nerubian cult, but well, I still can't get all the details on that. I know, and I'm not sure, and we don't have the details on his death even, so I can't really speak much towards that. And I guess that kind of stuff will come out eventually, or not. And I kind of love how they keep kept it secret for so long that hey, he had even passed away. It feels very on the mark for him. In 2018, he put out the album Zarface meets Metalface with rapper Zarface, and you know. I think this just speaks towards like all of his collaborations just speak towards filling that hole that was left behind by the death of his brother, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's so sad to think about. And at the same time, he made so much amazing stuff in these collaborations. So I'm glad he did. But I think he was always searching for a partner in crime with, with most of his albums that he released because of that. In the final few years of his life, he did limited appearances on songs such as Lunch Break by Flying Lotus Apparently, they also had an album they were working on. Who knows if we'll see that? Uh, who who oh, knows? Hold on. I'm sorry. When you said he made limited appearances, I thought you were referencing the fact, which we haven't acknowledged this entire time, that uh, he had a habit of just sending imposters to do live sets for him. <laughs> yes. And we'll talk about the Doom bots. Well, let's talk about it right now, actually. So, so Doom did more than just in his lyrics be the villain or in his persona just wearing the mask and stuff and calling himself a villain. Uh, he actually, he would say, he said in interviews that he doesn't listen to rap music just to piss off the hip hop heads. Doom said in a spin interview, I write rhymes and shit to get money. Other than that, I don't listen to hip hop music <laughs> just to piss people off. The biggest version of this is what you just said. The doom bots, the doom imposters. He purposely would send out imposters sometimes to the shows. Uh, Talib Qualis once uh, told, told this story. MF Doom is the Andy Kaufman of hip-hop. He's a supervillain. I asked him, I said, why sometimes you don't come to the show? Because sometimes he would just send an imposter Doom out to perform. He would, send it, he would make the audience wait for hours, then send an imposter. <laughs> send someone who clearly wasn't him. At one point, Hannibal Burris actually was a Doom imposter for, for a concert. Uh, uh, so he asked him why, why he did this. And Talib Kweli said his answer to that question was, I don't leave no money on the table, but sometimes it ain't enough money. So I send the imposter. I said, listen, isn't that wrong? But his answer made perfect sense. He said, I'm the fucking supervillain. I'm not your friend. You don't have to like me. You're paying for the experience of dealing with a supervillain, which I think is the best ever. Doom said, I liken it to this. I'm a director as well as a writer. I choose different characters. I choose their direction and where I want to put them. So who I choose to put as the character is up to me. The character that I hired, he got paid for it. There's no imposter. When I go to a show, I'm going to hear the music. I'm not going to see no particular person. Uh, I, and I think that's fantastic and ridiculous at the same time. I have a whole bit on his wordplay because it's really such a focal point for me. What really draw me into his music. And he breaks it down as such. MF Doom said... When you're looking at quality of wordplay, you're looking at how many words repeat in a bar or two bars. How many syllables can you use that still make sense in a song? In certain ways, you get a triple word score, you know, like in Scrabble. You have triple word score points, the way you get points based on words and how they correlate on the board. It's similar to getting points like that if you really take it to the next level. 
What I'd be looking at is the quality of the rhyming word, phonetically, how the tone is and the pronunciation of the word. Regardless of language, you can be fluent in speaking Spanish, Arabic, whatever. You can use an Arabic word to rhyme with the Spanish word and have English slang all in between it. As long as the word itself rhymes, you still get points for that word. And the reference is another way of bringing that same thing home. How many references can you cross and still stay on topic and still rhyme? The more complex the subject matter and wordplay is, that's where you get your points. I love that he saw it as this point system. And and this is the other uh, quote from him that I love about the wordplay and about the the power about about the way people use rap to um to uh, fascinate people and to keep people coming back for more. He said, the essence of rhyming is to keep everybody off guard a little. I'll take that and I stretch it a little. Leave one word blank, knowing that the listener is following along and will fill in that blank. Just like I'll fill in a blank, but any, but always put that word in that you least expect or what they might think might be there, but that almost makes sense in another way. It keeps the story interesting where you can match wits. It's like you keep a conversation with the listener where you can match wits with them makes it more fun to me. And I think also keeps the listener too continuing to go back and try to uncover more little bit. I mean, we watched a breakdown of what, like six, eight bars. It was mm-hmm. like a five minute YouTube video where he just went through and broke down like this set of bars from uh, one of his tracks. And uh, I think it was from Accordion. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's so complex if you really look at it and break it down. There's like everything has a double meaning. Everything ties back into something else or comments to something else. And also the guy in it mentions he's like, MF Doom doesn't give a fuck about grammar. He'll, the way he words things, it'll just be so, but, but it'll make sense. And that's why I think he was getting out with the leaving words blank and having you fill it in and, and, and knowing and treating the listener with so much, a lot more respect, I think, than a lot of people do. To sit down and fully absorb an MF Doom song without having to look anything up means you have to know about comic books. You have to know about Japanese anime and kaiju movies. You have to know about uh, hip hop history and like everyone from like, run DMC to whoever is popular at the time. You have to know about drug culture. You have to know about local New York politics of the 80s and 90s. Like everything is like from his mind. And he's not, what it is, he's playing, this is what comedy improv nerds say, uh, playing to the height of his intelligence. He's not dumbing anything down for the audience. And the audiences that can vibe with that either respect that or aspire to get to his level. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I've got a couple more quotes to close out this episode. I love, because again, I I agree with his perspective that when it's all just about how cool you are and how much money you are and how good you are at sex and all this kind of stuff, I get get a little over it. And um, so I love this quote from him. I ain't going to be talking shit about the next dude or bragging about shit I got. I talk broke shit. I talk about shit I don't got or things I'm striving for. Say you're speaking from a point of view... Uh, where you're talking to yourself, or maybe a, a sad mood. You, How do your tones come across? Can people feel what you're saying? Can they hear what you're saying? Are you well-pronounced? Maybe you purposely were a little sloppy on it with it to bring the point across, which I think he, like I said, I mentioned way early episode, I think he purposely makes certain things clunky to make you go, huh? And it kind of ties into what he's doing, which he's like, his characters might be stumbling a little bit. You know what I mean? Something like that in the story. So yeah, I have a final wrap-up quote, Jake, if you want me to end it on that. Do you have anything else you wanted to get in there before we uh, capped this one off? Just that, uh, you know, uh, MF Doom, his heights in the early 2000s definitely laid out 
uh, a framework that a lot of uh, later artists picked up on and kind of idolized him. Uh, people like Earl Sweatshirt and Tyler Creator, Tyler the Creator of the Odd Future Collective, uh, definitely were influenced by him to the Absolutely. point where you can find a video on YouTube of them meeting MF Doom at a con- you know backstage at a concert and their precious baby faces just losing their shit having met one of their idols. Action Bronson points to him uh, like. There's just, you know, the impact he had on hip hop and kind of bringing that underground aesthetic and attitude to the mainstream was irreplaceable. Hell yeah. So this was an interview he did where he was asked about if he had anything to say to the aspiring youth. And uh, I say this, too. I love this quote. Yeah, you know what I would say? Follow your heart is the number one rule. A lot of people might not see your vision yet. People might call you crazy. Just follow your heart and follow it all the way through. That's when you see you're breaking new ground and people will appreciate it later on. Never try to do something to try and impress the next man or the next woman. It's about what you see, what's inside you. Everybody's a unique individual here. You have something to contribute, so whatever it is, bring it to the table and share it with all of us. And uh, I super agree with that. And um, honestly, especially early on, like, do not let these people try to tell you how to do your art. I, I face that too in my life. Um, in school and in, co- in acting school and co- I mean, it's just they want to tell you how to do it and what to do and, that, and diminish what you have. Managers, everybody try to tell you to put you in a box or tell you what is going to make the money. Man, if you really want to be an artist, be a fucking artist um, and the money will come after. I promise. And if it doesn't come, then at least you'll die a miserable person. And then 10 years later, somebody will find it. And they'll be like, this is pretty good. <laughs> uh, all right. That's our episode guess, on MF Doom. <laughs> uh, I guess I should reveal that uh, I've been an imposter the entire time. It's not really me, Jake Young. It's me, Gordon Finkelstein. Oh, That's right. right. Just another Jewish guy? <laughs> Different, bald, fat Jewish guy. You idiots. I tricked you. Okay, what's the difference between you and Jake Young? I was paid $40 to do this by Jake Young. <laughs> Um, hell yeah. Thank you, Finkelstein, uh, for joining us. You can follow me and Finkelstein more on Patreon. Uh, what was the first name again? Gordon. Gordon. You can follow me and Gordon Finkelstein more on Patreon. <laughs> Patreon.com forward slash Wizbrew. Uh, we do weekly bonus episodes. The super villain of podcast strikes All right. again. G- Gordon. All right. Uh, and we can, yeah, you can listen to us. $5 a month, you get weekly bonus content. $15 a month, you hang out with us for a study session. This last time, we uh, had a great time listening to a bunch of tracks from MF Doom albums. Uh, and uh, yeah, you can catch me at twitch.tv forward slash Holden So I'm on Twitch, and I'd have a lot of fun. Monday, Tuesday, Friday nights, I'm hanging. Join me. And Jake? You can follow me at Best Jake Young to read all my thoughts and plops. There you go. And always remember, never stop bruising and keep on whizzing. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! 
The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.